On this edition of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, we give you the Terp of the Week as we break down Maryland's sweep of Michigan State this past weekend. Plus, we introduce a new segment, Overreaction Monday. We'll make a statement about a Maryland player or about the team and take a look at whether or not it's an overreaction, just plain wrong, or maybe too early to tell. Finally, we look ahead to the Terps series against the Hoosiers out in Bloomington. Plus, a conversation with Maryland ace Brian Schaefer. Here we go. This is the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Here's your host, Jake Eisenberg. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the 34th edition of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Jake Eisenberg alongside Justin Galanti. Thanks for joining us on this edition. Like we did last week and like we'll do for the weeks to come, we'll start with our Terp of the Week after Maryland went 4-0 this past week, a midweek win over William & Mary, and then a sweep of Michigan State at Bob Turtlesmith Stadium. Now, you can make the case, Justin, I think, that Terp of the Week could be a guy like Ryan Hill who had that strong start in the midweek where the Terps needed it. You can make the case for a guy like Brian Schaefer, who had a strong start against Michigan State on Friday. But I think both of us will agree pretty easily that Turbo of the Week, once again, back-to-back weeks now, is Zach Jankarski. Yeah, definitely. Have to agree with that. One more point just quickly on Hill. Uh, he came. He got out of the biggest jam of the weekend on Sunday in the first game, came in with second and third, one out, got back-to-back strikeouts when the game was, I believe, 2-1 or one nothing, And so that was huge. But, yes, Jankarski was outstanding again at the top of the order. We talked about it during the game yesterday. What he's doing right now is basically absurd. He's getting on base about twice or three times every game of late this week, 10 for 18, seven RBIs, four multi-hit games, only struck out once, only scored two runs, which was a bit odd because coming into the weekend, he was at the top of the Big Ten and runs scored, but he did everything else. He's a spark plug. He gets on base, plays a really solid center field, really just exactly what Maryland and the coaching staff love in a player. Yeah, I crunched the numbers last night just on what Jankarski's done over the past, really, the month of April. So he's on a 14-game hitting streak, and over those 14 games, batting average of 475, on base percentage of 543, slugging percentage of 576. So in that span, he scored 16 runs, driven in nine, had five stolen bases, and of those 14 games, Nine of them have been multi-hit games, including five straight multi-hit games, which is really just absurd. It really is, and Michigan State doesn't have the worst pitching staff in the world. I mean, they came in with the lefty Alex Troop Friday night, who was leading the conference in ERA. Jankarski rips a single to start the game, and the Terps were off from there. It kind of reminds me of what people talked about with the Chicago Cubs last year, where they had some really, really strong and powerful hitters in the lineup. But they always said that as Dexter Fowler went, they went. I think that's true with Maryland. As Zach Jankarski goes, the rest of the offense goes. He's been doing everything. It's it, it's hard to believe how much he's getting on base, and it kind of feels like his on-base percentage for the season, which is at 432, seems kind of low based on how much it seems like he's getting on base. Well, he's having a terrific season. There's no question about that. He's batting 340. That's second on the team behind Marty Costas. He's now tied for the team lead in hits with 55 with Marty Cost is something that, well, we didn't think anyone was going to catch Marty the rest of the season. One thing I'd really be interested in taking a look at is we've talked a lot about last week and on the broadcast this week about the emergence of A.J. Lee as an offensive presence in that number nine hole and really his torrid month of April. And since he's hitting ninth and Jankarski hitting leadoff, the lineup turns back around you know, to one another. And I wonder really what kind of effect A.J. Lee has had on Zach Jankarski over the month of April. That's something I haven't taken a look at, but I'd be curious to, to dive into a little bit. It is interesting. Since Lee's been hitting ninth, 
and we talked about this last week, I think, a little bit, where the Terps order, once you go through the first eight, it kind of flips over again at nine. So Jankarski's somewhat a two-hitter in that situation because Lee's always on base for him. And it gives Maryland the opportunity to do some things. You can bunt, you can hit and run, you can well, we steal. Saw the hit, we saw right. the hit and run on Sunday. It worked to perfection. Absolutely. So it just adds another dynamic to the team when you have a nine-hitter who's hitting 320 right now. And I think I think that does have something to do with it, not to take anything away from Jankarski and what he's been doing because I think it's been really, as we said, kind of absurd. But I think the impact there from A.J. Lee in the number nine hole is a little bit understated. And really, I also think that Brandon Gum being in the two hole helps here also. You know, you flip Nick Dunn, who is struggling just a touchdown to number four, where he's been really hot over the last nine games. Now we did the math correctly, finally on Sunday. But that switch has really benefited the Maryland lineup also, and we've talked about it. This is a deep lineup. You have a guy like Kevin Smith, a preseason All-American, batting sixth or seventh. I mean, you can't take a batter off. Right. Maryland has depth one to nine that I don't think any team in the country really has. Friday night, your eight-hitter, Sierra, goes deep. Second game Sunday, Maynard two for two, a homer, a couple RBIs. I mean, that doesn't happen much in the Big Ten, to be honest with you. We see teams with just some really ugly batting averages after you get up, get past the six spot. One interesting thing about the Dunn move to cleanup, and it was actually Zach Jankarski who told me this, was that Dunn was hitting the ball hard a lot, but if Jankarski was even on base but only on first base because Dunn was hitting behind him, it was just a fly out. But when he's hitting fourth and Jankarski or Gum or Costas are on base, the defense can be moved in different spots, or those deep fly balls that Dunn hits are sack flies, not flyouts. So it really helps Nick out a lot, and Gums just continued to have a great season. Another element of this that I hadn't really considered really until this exact moment with Nick Dunn is, well, when he's batting without guys on base, there's a little bit of a shift towards right field, and Dunn's a guy who goes the opposite way a lot. He goes up the middle even more so, and when you have that shortstop shifted over, that might take away some hits from Nick Dunn. With a guy on base, you know, Depending on who it is, the second baseman might be playing over to cover second base, or the shortstop might be playing over. I mean, like you said, the defense can go in any which way. But with guys on base, pretty much exactly what you said, it puts guys in different positions and makes Nick Dunn, well, makes the hits fall a little bit more. Right, and it can be a little bit difficult as well to hit behind a base stealer because Jankarski has the green light for Maryland. He's usually not running with a steal sign. So if you're Nick Dunn at the plate, you're kind of waiting a pitch or two to see if Jankarski is going to take off. So that can make the count 0-1, 0-2, before you really get into it. And that can make things a touch harder. When you have a fifth-year guy like Gum, maybe he's used to it. And nothing against Nick Dunn, but it can just be something difficult. So now when you have guys in scoring position, like you said, defense more straight up, Dunn can really do his thing. He's up almost at 280, and I would not be surprised if he's right near 300 or over it by the end of the year. Well, finished last year at exactly 300. That led the Terps, and the strikeout-to-walk ratio for Nick Dunn still strong. 19 walks to 15 strikeouts. That's what we want to see from a guy like him who doesn't strike out a ton. So I think that move 2-4 to four has really benefited the Terps, both Nick Dunn and Brennan Gum, respectively. And while we've seen you know, them reap the rewards, seven straight wins now for Maryland. They're 18-1 and one at home. So Zach Jankarski, our consensus Terp of the week. And now we're going to go into kind of a new segment that Justin thought of earlier today, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think you're going to enjoy it. We're going to make some blanket statements about Maryland baseball and kind of how the season's going, uh, the Big Ten, some other things as well. We're going to decide if we're overreacting, if it's a fair statement, or if it's just plain wrong. These are some kind of storylines that we came up with earlier today that we think have a bearing on the last couple of weeks of the season. Um, so we're just going to kind of see where it goes. These are all kind of conversation starters that we have to give you some inside knowledge. We talk about these kinds of things off the air. 
um, in between innings or just, you know, when we're trying to hang out and think about podcast stuff. But now we're going to have them or recorded. For, you know, for board and class. Exactly. Today, exactly. today when it looks like Chernobyl outside and school <laughs> got canceled and things like that. So so I, I get, I'll i defer to you as, as the creator of this new segment. I don't really know what we'll call it quite yet. Overreaction um, Monday. Overreaction Monday. All right, Maybe. we we came up so so this weekend we had the name for that game on uh, the first game of the doubleheader. Uh, Matt Present came up with the strand off, which I thought was a little bit better than what what you came up with uh, earlier yes. in that game. Yes. It was so long I don't even remember exactly it what was, it was. It uh, was lack of timely hitting duel. Yeah, that yeah whatever. <laughs> um, so maybe we'll come up with a with a nice clean name for this segment in the coming weeks. But for now, overreaction Monday and and Justin take it away. All right, so my first statement I'll go first here. Um, based on the events of this week and this weekend, I would say, other than Brian Schaefer, who's obviously had an incredible year, by far front runner for Big Ten Pitcher of the Year, in my opinion, Ryan Hill is the most important pitcher that Maryland has. I think that's a fair statement. Just given the role that Ryan Hill has had this season, I mean, he's a guy who's tied for the team leading appearances with 18. He made that midweek start against William & Mary and went three hitless, scoreless innings in a midweek game that... Maryland didn't necessarily, it wasn't a must win, but the Terps needed some some strong midweek starting pitching, something to alleviate kind of the pains of the past midweek games. Ryan Hill now a 2.51 ERA in 32 and a third innings. He struck out 41 and walked 13. Just to give you some kind of perspective there, those 41 strikeouts are actually third on the team, trailing just Brian Schaefer and Tyler Bloom. So he's really punching out guys at a pretty fast rate. And I think just the role that he fills in that fireman, that potential starter, that long relief guy, that makes him Maryland's second most important pitcher behind Brian Schaefer, who's been lights out on Fridays. Absolutely. And, and it's interesting you bring up the strikeouts because when you interviewed him on the podcast a few weeks ago, he said he doesn't consider himself a strikeout pitcher. But he's been just that, got the huge strikeouts this weekend. Hit, opponents are only hitting 202. That's second on the team against him. And for him to have the ability to fill so many roles for Maryland. You mentioned it, midweek starter, fireman. Uh, he can be the long man when someone doesn't give a lot of length. He gave Maryland four-plus innings earlier this season in a game against Nebraska. So he does pretty much everything, and I think he definitely is Maryland's second most important pitch pitcher. Now, I think we should give the counter to this to understand why it's a statement that needs to be you know, interrogated here, I guess. So the other options here would be your Saturday starter now, Tyler Blome, who looks pretty secure as the Big Ten Freshman of the Year at the moment. Well, we, we crunched the numbers earlier, and just to put it in perspective, he's having a pretty similar freshman season that Mike Schwarn had in 2014. The numbers kind of bear out, and perhaps we'll dive a little bit deeper on those at another point. But Tyler Blome is, has been really strong on Sundays and Saturdays. And I think, you know, the other guys that you might mention as, you know, the other most important pitcher Rashad Schaefer would be a guy like Andrew Miller or a guy like Ryan Selmer who have locked up the back end of all games. Right, and the reason I would say Ryan Hill gets the nod as number two is because based on the way Maryland approaches the game, you don't get to Miller and you don't get to Selmer if Hill doesn't do what he does. So fair statement, our final consensus on Ryan Hill being Maryland's second most important pitcher. Agreed. All right, so now, so now I'll go. Uh, my statement, Zach Jankarski will be Maryland's best candidate for Big Ten Player of the Year. I think at the moment that's a overreaction, but I'm going to state the language again, just so just so we're clear. Right, Be Maryland's best candidate. So this is not necessarily saying that Jankarski 
is the best candidate overall for Big Ten Player of the Year, just Maryland's best chance at taking home that award. I'll say that you are slightly overreacting to the last two weeks, but based on this pace, it's a fair statement that he will end up as Maryland's. Oh, you're kind of splitting hairs here. Is I it am, an overreaction or so, is it a fair statement, Justin? I'll say fair statement because what <laughs> Zach Jankarski is doing right now is incredible. I would say at the moment, today, Marty Costas is still the Terps' best candidate for the conference player of the year. But what Jankarski's doing right now, I think, could propel him to the top of the team leaderboard. I think Marty Costas, I mean, not to take anything away from him, had a little bit of an off weekend against Michigan State. But, I mean, the fact that the Terps were able to sweep as handily as they did and Costas not have the biggest weekend kind of plays against him a little bit in terms of this conversation. But, I mean, he's still a guy who's slashing 350, 438, 580 with a team-high eight home runs, 31 RBIs. He's near the top of the Big Ten in pretty much every offensive category, has played a relatively spotless right field, made a couple of highlight reel grabs also. Um, I still think he's the front runner for Big Ten Player of the Year, not really just on Maryland. I think he's in the top five in the conversation in the entire conference, and I think Zach Jankarski is playing his way into that conversation. So on that statement, I think it's a little bit of an overreaction at this point, but like you said, maybe it's too early to tell. It's possible. And now here's one thing. Another statement, I'm just thinking of it right now. Should the Terps be worried that having potentially two Big Ten Player of the Year candidates are going to force neither of them to win because they might split votes. The old the old MVP conversation has to be the main guy sort of thing? Well, you just see it in places where, you know, if you have two really good players on one team, they sometimes split votes because some people would say, in this case, Zach Jankarski's Maryland's best offensive player. Some would say Marty Costas. They split votes, and then somebody else ends up with more votes because, you know, let's say Drew Lugbauer gets all the Michigan votes for people who think Michigan – somebody on Michigan deserves Big Ten Player of the Year. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point to make. I don't really know how to how to quantify that because I don't really fully understand how the how the award voting works. It's a combination of coaches and and Big Ten people. Um, and I think the biggest thing is that coaches will vote for guys who play really well against them. And in Big Ten play so far, the I think the better player for Maryland in Big Ten play, you know, it's hard to say whether it's been Zach Jankarski or Marty Costas. You look kind of at Big Ten statistics overall, and A.J. Lee actually has Maryland's best average in Big Ten play, hitting 362. Zach Jankarski's at 344. Um, so can we, can we agree, though, that as great as he, as he has been, um, a lot of what A.J. Lee has done was one huge game? I would disagree with that. Games. He's having an incredibly good month of April. If you look at the entire month of April, he's still batting over 400 for the month. Right. It is the product of an enormous game against Penn State, a big game against William Mary, back-to-back four-hit games. will do wondrous things for a batting average and everything else. But I still think that A.J. Lee is more than just those two games, as we've seen over the past month now. No, I agree, but... I, we're we're I, well I, enough into April to say that this isn't just a fluky, you know, one-weekend, one-game thing. Right, but I, I would still take what Jankarski's done over Lee... Nothing against A.J. Lee, obviously, but I just think, you know, A.J.'s stats are a tad bit inflated by that one game. I don't think that's overtly incorrect. I would still take Jan Car- what Jankarski's done as well. Right. Um, but I don't think it's fair to discount what A.J. Lee's done. Now, going back to our conversation on, you know, splitting votes as an MVP guy, um, could that happen? Sure. Um, I think it's too early to tell. Okay. That's fair. All right. I'll do my next one. Uh I know this, you're going to think this is a big statement. But 
Tyler Blom will end his Maryland career. He has to be here at least three years now. So Tyler Blom will end his Maryland career as the best pitcher in school history. Whoa. And here's, you know, the comparison is obviously Mike Schwarin, who holds every known record to mankind as a Maryland pitcher. But let's just compare first 10 starts of their freshman years. And the caveat here, which is very important to say, is that Mike Schwarm was pitching in the ACC and Tyler Blum was pitching in the Big Ten. And frankly, there's no comparison in terms of conference. The ACC is much, much stronger. But record-wise, Schwarin 7-2, and two, Blum 7-3. and three. ERA, Schwarin 2-4-7, Blum 2-4-9. Schwarin has thrown four more innings on the dot, 54 and two-thirds versus 50 and two-thirds. Blom's given up 37 hits, Schwarin 56, Schwarin has wa- had walked 11, Blom's walked 21, they each have 47 strikeouts, so four less innings for Blom, but the same number of strikeouts, and then whip, 1.23 for Schwarin and 1.14 for Blom. Regardless of your answer here, those numbers are scary close. They're they're really scary close, and I think it is an important caveat to you know note the level of play. I mean, Mike Schwarin's freshman season made a couple of starts that you know he went down to number then number two Florida State and pitched lights out against the Seminoles. He faced Florida that season, also faced a number of big teams, faced UNC. I mean, Tyler Blom, not to take anything away from him, but faced teams like Alabama State, Bryant, Princeton in the non-conference, and those were some of his best starts of his career, especially that Princeton game when he went seventh scoreless. But I think this is a conversation blanket, way too early to tell, because Tyler Blom is just a freshman. Um, he's still you know, growing as a starter. He's 10 starts into his Maryland career, but the numbers, whoa, they're, they're eye-opening. Now, taking a look at, just, just to take a look at Mike Schwarren's career numbers, finished his freshman season 11-4 and with a 3.12 ERA in 16 starts. In 92 and a third innings, struck out 72, walked 24, had a 1.22 whip. These are numbers that are attainable for Tyler Blum. There's no doubt about that. He's going to make a start this weekend against Indiana, then Illinois, Northwestern, High Point, and then whatever postseason action Maryland has. So it's at least four more starts for Blum, who has had a decision in every start that he's pitched in. And, well, he's 7-3. and three. So he's on pace to get to that 11-4 and four mark. Not that wins and losses are the end-all, be-all of starting pitching. We know that that's not the case whatsoever. But his ERA right now of 2.49, there's a chance that it ends up lower than Mike Schwarren's 3.12 for his freshman season. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that just because Tyler Blum's freshman year ends up better than Mike Schwarren's, if it does, means that he's going to go on and break Schwarren's records of 30 career wins, 307 career innings pitched, and 307 career strikeouts. I don't think that's a fair statement to make. But I think if there's any pitcher that has the chance to do what Schwarren did over three years, it's Tyler Blum. And I agree with that. And just the one thing to say is that, you know, if we're looking at this 15 years from now, people are not going to remember that Mike Schwarren's freshman year was in the ACC and Tyler Blum's was in the Big Ten. It's going to be looked at as numbers. So pace-wise, if things continue the way they're looking, Tyler Blum has a great chance. But if you just look at what Schwarren did, I mean, the argument could easily be made that his best year was his sophomore year. That's not an argument. Well, that's, a, that's a fact. No, he no, went 13-2 no, with a 1.71 ERA. No, but the point I was going to make is that his last year, his junior year here, was probably his worst of the three. Mm-hmm. So you, you never know what's going to happen. It's not just like, things don't just happen on an upward trend. Right, exactly, so you, and, exactly. I mean, 
Mike Schwarman's sophomore season was, I mean, he broke the single-season record for wins, single-season record for strikeouts, was one of the best pitchers in the Big Ten. We talked about this last week, how he was almost kind of robbed of Big Ten Pitcher of the Year. And, you know, while, yes, you expected almost Schwarman to go up from that sophomore season, it was much more likely that the production dropped off a little bit, ended up dropping off a little bit more than that. Still a very, very good season for a collegiate starting pitcher, 6-4 and four with a 3.18 ERA and 97 strikeouts in 99 innings. And Tyler Blome has the chance to, you know, continue to do that. I think he's off to a great start. So I agree. I, I'll say that it's definitely too early to tell, but there's no doubt he has a chance. Okay, so we're going to say fair statement maybe is slight over too early to tell. But I, fair, I don't think it's an overreaction. I don't think it's an overreaction. Too early to tell, but somewhat fair. Okay, I'll make, I'll make my next statement here. Um, the Big Ten Conference in 2017 is a four-bid league. By that, I mean four teams from the Big Ten will get bids to the NCAA tournament. So, I, you know, before I give my answer, I, I want your teams. Okay, so I think that Maryland will get to the NCAA tournament. They're currently leading the Big Ten at 12-3, and 28-11 overall. I think Michigan is a team that's highly regarded by committees and whatnot. They're one spot below Maryland in the rankings this week, but they're seven and five in conference play, thirty-one and nine overall. They've got a strong RPI at twenty-eight. Other two teams, Nebraska and Indiana. The Big Ten has four teams that are in the top forty of RPI. RPI is not the end all be all of this conversation. Gotta look at record strength of schedule as well. Indiana, though, their non conference strength of schedule is twentieth in the country, and they fared, you know, pretty well in the non-conference as well. Overall strength of schedule is 24. Big series coming up this weekend between the Hoosiers and the Terps in Bloomington. If Maryland takes it, they maybe push themselves even closer to a lock. If Indiana takes it, they bolster their roster. They've got two big midweek games towards the end of this season against Louisville and against Kentucky, so we'll see what happens in those. But I think that Maryland, Michigan, Nebraska, and Indiana have the strongest cases, followed by Minnesota, who's currently second in the Big Ten Conference with an 8-4 and four record in conference play. I want to explain two things here before you jump in. I think whoever wins the Big Ten Conference in the regular season is going to get a bid because it's a strong enough league that that happens. Whoever wins the conference tournament, that's the automatic bid. So I think that there's a chance here where you have teams that can steal a bid by winning the conference tournament or by you know stealing the regular season crown. If Maryland or Michigan doesn't win either of those two things, I think you're going to see teams that steal the bids, and that's maybe where you're more confident about a four-bid league. Right. I, I mean, it's very hard to try and project. It, it certainly can happen, but it's hard to project somebody that you don't expect winning the Big Ten tournament. So while that can happen, I'm going to kind of you know, put that away when I give my answer here. I would say it's an overreaction. And I think the overreaction comes uh, to Indiana taking two of three from Michigan this weekend. Those two wins were the Hoosiers' first two against the RPI top 50. With the two out of three, and by the way, they lost in the midweek um, so to Butler, who's you know not a great team. So that kind of evens it out. They're 21-16-2. And, and while this is somewhat unlikely because it's on the road, I mean, if they lose all three games to Maryland this weekend. That puts them at 21-19-2. They have games against Kentucky and Louisville, which are great opportunities for them to get wins, but somewhat unlikely. So if they don't get those, that puts them at 500. And then you have to play well in all your other games. They have Xavier, Penn State, 
those are six games against those two teams, and then they finish up with Ohio State. So I'm going to say it's a little bit of an overreaction to what Indiana did this weekend because as a whole their body of work is just not that strong. Okay, I think that's I think that's fair, and time will time will tell. Of course. All right. Uh, my next statement is kind of a blanket statement for the whole year. I will say that the game against Notre Dame on Friday, March third, Maryland went into that game one and five, and they won the game by a score of four to three, with a ninth inning rally. They scored two runs in the top of the ninth. Ryan Hill got the win that day. Selmer got the save. My statement is going to be that was Maryland's biggest win of the year, and if that win did not happen, Maryland, or we're not sitting here having the kind of conversations we are about this team. I'm going to say, see, I'm not really sure how to qualify that because I don't know if that has an overreaction. I don't think that's correct. So it's just wrong. So I think it's just, I think this is our first just wrong. And the reason I'm going to say that is because I think that the biggest win of the season for the Terps was actually the win that followed that Notre Dame win, which was the win against NC State down in Cary, which was essentially a de facto home game for the Wolfpack, being as they were so close to their home ballpark. I think that win is really when Maryland gained confidence after starting 1-5 and five and catapulted themselves to playing the rest of the way that they've played. And I'm going to say that because at that time, sure, NC State hasn't had the season that they were expected to have. They were ranked 6th in the country at that time. So at that time, Maryland said, okay, this is a top 10 team. We just got done playing you know, LSU, who was ranked number 5, and they swept us. Here's a team that's ranked one spot lower than LSU. You know, what can we do against them? Came in and really boat raced them 9-2. to two. That was a big start for Taylor Bloom. That was a big game for Maryland just in terms of confidence. It got them back really going towards 500 to sweep that weekend in Cary after that win over Notre Dame. But I think that win over Notre Dame carried a little bit less weight than the win over NC State from a confidence perspective, um, which is why I'm going to say you're just wrong and the NC State game was the biggest win of the season to date. So my response to that is going to be a little bit unfair, but I'm just going to say it. <laughs> I'll, say okay, that, okay. I'll, I'll say that the NC State win doesn't happen without the Notre Dame win because had Maryland lost that game, it pretty much would have been that they blew, they blew the game because after six and a half innings, they were up 2 nothing and gave up three runs in the bottom of the seventh. So if they had lost that game, been 1-6, and six, and would have been coming off a really bad loss, I mean, look, we can't play the what-if game. It's impossible. So I don't know if there's a legitimate end to this conversation that's fair on both sides. But I'll say that if they had blown that Notre Dame game, the, the NC State game doesn't happen. So we can agree to disagree on that. But one thing I think we can agree on is that was the biggest weekend Absolutely. of the season for Maryland in terms of you know, their future success. Absolutely, 100%. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll make a statement now. Um, Jamal Wade will be the highest drafted Terp come – 2017 I would say that is a slight overreaction I would put him at number two right now because I don't think you can ignore what Brian Schaefer's doing um, I think Brian Schaefer is a top 10 round draft pick but I do think Jamal Wade is going to get drafted relatively high for a number of reasons we, we've discussed them he has a mid-90s fastball and he just became a pitcher, so there is virtually no wear and tear on that arm. So am I allowed to, to weigh in on my own statement? Of course. So I think my statement is an overreaction. Okay. Um, I do think Jamal Wade is going to get a lot 
He's going to be drafted a lot higher than anyone expected coming into the season, largely because we didn't see this coming from Jamal Wade. I think you look at a guy like Brian Schaefer as a contender for the top pick for Maryland. A guy like Kevin Smith as well. Sure, he hasn't put up necessarily the offensive numbers that you expect. He's batting 252, which is not you know in the top five in the team. But his defense has still been outstanding at shortstop. That's what scouts love about him. He's glove. He's a glove first shortstop. The bat is a bonus. The power has been there. We've seen it with the seven home runs he's hit this season. His makeup mentally is really, really strong. He's he's a bright guy who has a good baseball future ahead of him. I still think Kevin Smith ends up as a very high draft pick, given that he plays a premium position. I think Brian Schaefer, with what he's doing, has pitched his way into that conversation. Um, I think in you know one of the more recent top 100 draft prospect projections, Schaefer was at 72 and Smith was a little bit higher than that. I think around, I want to say around 55. But Jamal Wade, what he's doing, and we, we saw this on Sunday when he came into the game. We saw the radar gun party behind home plate. We saw the video cameras pop up. Scouts are really, really interested to see what Jamal Wade can do. A guy who's only thrown 14 innings in his entire career, but a guy who has 22 strikeouts and six walks and opposing hitters hitting a buck 85 against him. He's really, really impressed out of the bullpen. That curveball is one of the best secondary pitches maybe on the entire team. And a fastball in the mid-90s from a guy who doesn't have a lot of innings and is moldable and is projectable, well, that's something that scouts will pretty much salivate over. So I think Jamal Wade right now is a top 10 round draft pick. Maybe that's getting a little bit ahead of things given that we haven't seen a ton from him. Um, I think to say he's the highest drafted Terp, which was my statement, is a bit of an overreaction on what he's done to this point. Um, I'm actually going to dive a little bit deeper on this shameless plug here, um, a feature on Jamal Wade coming out soon on Maryland Baseball Network sometime later this week. So we'll dive into that a little bit more. But I think Jamal Wade has made the case that, I mean, he's among one of the best prospects on this Maryland team. So here's a way. I think the statement he will be the highest drafted Terp is an overreaction. I think a potentially more fair statement could be uh, Jamal Wade, I don't know exactly how to say this, but has the best chance to have the best pro career on the roster right now. Wow, okay. I think that's, I think, hmm, well, I don't really know how to categorize that. Has I th- a chance I th- of the best pro well, career. Well, I just think teams might on, be. On the roster right now. Maybe not on the roster right now. Draft eligible player right draft now. Draft eligible players. Because I think some teams might be a little scared off to draft him high by the fact that he's thrown 14 collegiate innings so far and just became a pitcher this year. But his brother's doing well. Right. Lamont's in double A. Hey, genes matter. Genes, genes do matter. Um, I think that's an interesting statement and, and one that – so uh, later later on this season, just to give you guys listening a bit of inside info, we're going to dive a lot deeper on you know the, the draft and how Maryland's players fit into that. Um, the draft is happening the second week of June, so we'll dive into that really towards the end of this season, probably after the regular season, after the Big Ten tournament as well. That's when we'll have our real big draft projection conversation. So we're kind of getting into that a little bit early, I think, because there's still you know four weeks of the season left to be played, lots of baseball left. Um, so that'll be an interesting conversation. Stay tuned for that one. Um, but Jamal Wade, very, very interesting. And I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, what he does the rest of the way. All right, so we have one more statement on here, and this is, we'll call this a joint statement. Maryland has a, what do you want to say, good chance or a chance? A chance, I think, is a, the proper way to put it. A chance to host a regional, and that's in... You know, two reasons. One, they're having a great season. They are 28 and 11. And two, the schedule the rest of the way is relatively soft. They have a really good shot to win maybe the rest of their games, but 
you know, maybe only lose one or two more. They're projected by most people as a two seed right now. I don't see a reason why they couldn't get up to one. I think this is a fair statement. Maryland is 28 and 11, 18 games left. They're all winnable games for Maryland. There's none that jump out of the page at you and say, if Maryland wins this game, it's an upset. I think there are games that jump out at you and say the exact opposite. So the Terps, with 18 games left, have a chance to end up at 46 and 11. I'm not saying that Maryland is going to win out in the regular season, but to put it in perspective, the Terps' program record for wins is 42. That happened in 2015. Maryland's program record for regular season wins is 36, which also happened in, um, I, it was either 2014 or 2015, I'm not sure off the top of my head, but program record for regular season wins is very well within reach. Maryland needs eight wins of the next 18 to tie it, nine to break it. So basically, Maryland plays 500 baseball down the stretch. They break that regular season wins record. Now, the important part of this conversation is looking at the other regional hosts right. that are kind of projected so far. Um, Oregon State is a lock, is really the, the top overall seed. The, the Beavers have been playing out of their minds. Um, the latest projections, these from D1 Baseball, have Arizona, Texas Tech, uh, UNC, Clemson, Louisville, Florida, TCU, Wake Forest, Arkansas, Cal State Fullerton, Long Beach State, West Virginia, and LSU as the regional hosts. So their play going down the stretch matters a lot too, as does Maryland's. Trying, I mean, we had to put this statement in the way we did because of the game we're playing, but how about we do this this way? Somewhat trying to, you know, put aside other teams because it's, you know, we can't project what they're going to do, but what do you think Maryland has to do to be in the conversation to host a regional? I would say they can afford to lose one game in Indiana and might have to win every game, including the Big Ten tournament. I think, I think if Maryland wants to be a regional host, they definitely have to win the Big Ten tournament. I think that's, that's a given. Right. Um, because coming out of the Big Ten, um, you need to dominate your conference if you want to be in that conversation. If you're right. in the ACC, the SEC, you can finish top three and still be a number one seed because of the strength of your schedule. But in the Big Ten, I think Maryland needs to win the Big Ten regular season title, and that includes you know playing pretty much winning the rest of the Big Ten series at Indiana, at Illinois, and home against Northwestern. Um, they need to win all three series, if not I sweep. Think, I think they need to sweep Illinois and Northwestern. Frankly, those are not good teams. In the Big Ten so far this year. Right. Um, so I think they definitely need to win the Big Ten tournament. Definitely need to, I think, you know, win at least 15 of their last 18 games. I think is, a, is kind of a bit of a vague way to put it. But if Maryland plays as hot as they've been playing down the stretch and goes through the Big Ten tournament in the same fashion, it's going to be really tough for national committees to ignore a team that at that point would have won 25, 30 straight games and is having has more than 45 regular season wins. Right. Um, I think that's tough to ignore from a committee. The, I mean, committees were looking at St. John's as a team that's going to finish with more than 40 wins this season, but they're playing in a weak conference, so they're not really looked at as a host. Um, Mercer's kind of the same way. They just cracked the top 25 at 35 and 7. So there are teams that have a high number of wins but a lower strength of schedule. And I think Maryland, if they have a high number of wins, they have a high enough strength of schedule that they're seriously in this conversation to be a host, which Maryland has never hosted a regional in program history. That would be pretty cool. It would be. It would be great. And you know what? For the Terps, with the home field advantage they've had this year. 18-1 at Bob Turtlesmith Stadium. I mean, that would be something pretty special. So I think we've gone through all of our statements. Hope you enjoyed 
that new segment. If you did, we'll bring it back. If you didn't, we might try it out again anyway. Because <laughs> I don't know. I, I had some I had some fun with it. I think there there are some really interesting questions about this Maryland baseball team. Um, just a really fun team in general to kind of break down and look at. So many stories, so many storylines, and uh, I think we hit on a decent number of them w- with this with this idea that you had, Justin. Well, thank you. I think we did a good job. It was fun, and um, you know what? I I think it's always fun to kind of debate potentially irrational statements or storylines that could end up being really cool. So now we'll go into our conversation with Maryland starting pitching Brian Schaefer, who has been lights out on Friday night. So this is not your first time on the podcast, but the last time that you were on it was last it was last season. It was a bit of an untraditional podcast, at least from a production side. I don't know if you realized but it was it was you, Taylor Blue, and Mike Shawarn all at the same time. Um, we did a podcast with all three of the weekend starters, and you you were in the same room as, as Bloom at the time, right? I was. So I had you and Taylor Bloom on one phone, calling in conference with my phone, and then I borrowed my roommate's phone and had Shawarn on that phone, and I put the two phones next to a microphone going into my computer to record everything. Um, it was a little bit weird, and it. it didn't work as well as I thought it would, but podcast came out all right. Came out all right. It was the same day that we all got back from uh, from California at six a.m. in the morning. Oh, I do remember that. That was a that was a long trip. Mm-hmm. It was a fun trip though. Oh, that was spring break. It was oh, spring yeah. break. How does how does that trip rank among I guess all the road trips that you've been on as a as a pitcher, as a player, really? I mean, it was just fun to to hang out in California and have some actual time to to do so. And, go to the the boardwalk and all that and and obviously the the outcome of it was uh at, after that Tuesday game when we lost to Irvine kind of I don't know it seemed a little shaky from there on out and everything turned out in our favor it was a lot of fun turned out turned out all right for you you threw a complete game shutout that Sunday really we only used four pitchers that weekend if I remember correctly yeah yeah did Schwarm throw a complete game too he threw uh Seven, Galligan seven, seven or eight. Galligan came in, rubber arm Rob. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bloom, Bloom threw well on Saturday. Very. Marty hit two home runs. Yep. Beyondic hit a dinger in that game. Yep. And then you had the complete game uh, shutout on Sunday. Yep. Right, it was a shutout. It was a shutout, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I remember that game. First one. All right. So I want to start with you, really, on something that's not totally related to baseball. I guess. It's fun. Um, no, I know you. You're you're living with a bunch of other pitchers: Zach Guth, Taylor Bloom, Taylor Styles. And you guys, over the course of this season, I'm not really sure how far back this dates, but you can tell me. Um, you guys host movie nights <laughs> on, yeah, on Thursdays. We do. And uh, it's they, I've, I've run into to some of you guys um, in the elevator, I guess, because we're in the same building. And they're all horror movies. Yes. So I guess tell me, give me, give me the <laughs> genesis of like you guys as the, the movie night hosts and why it's all thrillers. Uh, Guth, is a, Guth is a big fan of thrillers and that's usually the request we get from the, the people we we have over by the way if anybody wants to uh come to a movie night thursday nights apartment 5138 landmark you're welcome is that, does that include me <laughs> that's everyone <laughs> now i'm not i'm not a big i'm not a big <laughs> horror movie guy in fact uh honestly i can't remember the last horror movie i saw um so i don't know if i'm going to take you up on that we'll <laughs> see but i guess i guess what are some of the what are some of the highlights over the past you know, a few months or so. It's been real hard finding uh, finding good ones to watch. Are these, the, like, uh, classic horror movies or, like, recent ones? No, the classic ones, 
they were scary when we were younger. But and the new ones are just kind of going downhill. They're just not. It's hard to find something that scares you at this age. Oh, tough guy. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. What was uh What was the one this past week? Uh, we watched uh, man, what was it? Evil in Us. Evil in yes. Us. It was uh. Yeah, some uh, some organization let out a drug that's uh, they lace cocaine with some kind of drug turns you into a uh, zombie or something like, like a that. cannibal kind of. Oh, okay. Yeah, and like, they like take over the world. I'm guessing. Yeah, kind of like that bath salts issue uh, a few years ago with mm-hmm. people eating each other. Okay, so I guess I guess what was what was your favorite horror movie from this kind of slew of them? My favorite horror movie is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Okay, that was, you were quick with that one. Yes. Any reason? Uh, no, it was just uh, I watched it uh, by accident when I was in third grade, <laughs> and it uh, and it's it scared scared the crap out of me, and uh, ever <laughs> since then I've been a I've been a fan of now, it. Now, I mean, I just told you I'm not a big horror movie fan, so I've, I've never seen it. Should I mm. should I add it to my list? Yes. Am I gonna have nightmares? No, run now. You'll you'll be all right. All right. That's I guess that's a vote of confidence. Uh, I'll take it as I'll take it as such. Wouldn't um, watch it when you're in third grade. Yeah, I, I suppose. I mean, I saw, I saw the Saw movies when I was maybe ten or eleven. Yeah. Um, that wasn't. That's probably when I stopped watching horror movies. <laughs> if I'm being honest, um, I watched all six though. Is that right? Unless are there when seven? I watched however many were out at the time. Yeah. Um, did not did not enjoy them terribly, but it was it was summer camp, and that's what you did. So, that's kind of how that happened. Interesting. Um, so it's always horror movies when you guys host these movie oh, nights. Uh, most of the time, yeah. Any so. any other kind of genres? I mean. Big you comedies. don't. You and you guys don't necessarily strike me as the guys who are gonna, you know, pop in a rom com or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we uh, watch comedy here and there. It's uh, and we usually get the same group of people that always come over. I've and seen uh, I've seen Sierra over here a couple Jesus times. Cheese is here uh, all the time. More than more than just Thursdays. <laughs> so. Ran into uh, ran into Danny Maynard and yep. Jankarski over yep. here. There. Um, and uh, that was this past Thursday. I ran into them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were telling me you guys had watched that movie, and Maynard said it was okay. Yeah. Um, so it's an open invitation to come watch come watch movies with you guys in yes. in your apartment. Um, are you, do you take requests? Do you take suggestions? We do, we do, yeah. Any baseball movies? I haven't watched any baseball movies lately. No baseball movies. No, no Sandlot, Field of Dreams, Bull Durham, anything no, like that. No, usually we'll watch those. Uh, you know, other other times. You know, not not movie night. We'll watch. Maybe on the bus. Maybe, maybe me and Guff will throw it in. When we're, when we're bored or something. But. So, I guess, you know, it was a home series this weekend, so you guys were home on Thursday. But Thursday is normally the travel day. So, if you're in a hotel, you know, down in Baton Rouge or Cary, North Carolina, wherever we've been this season, what do you guys do? Uh, well, we, you can either, uh, you know, get the academic juices flowing and and uh, do a little homework mm-hmm. or uh, catch up on some sleep maybe, take a nap, or uh, – I like to find the hot tub, get in. Nah, I've never, you know, I've never thought of loosen that. up a little bit. Never thought. Of, in fact, I've never brought a bathing suit. Yeah. On for any of these road trips, um, but that's an interesting mm-hmm. idea. Um, but no movie nights on the road. No, not normally. Not it's, really. Uh, no, it's unless somebody's got like a PlayStation with them, which some guys bring, bring a PlayStation with them. But I know Marty brings his uh, his Xbox down sometimes to play some 2K. Yeah. We uh, we played once last <laughs> year and he. He destroyed me. It wasn't really? close. I, I'm looking for my rematch, Marty. Though, so if you're listening, it's coming. Uh. <laughs> but uh, 
I mean, so you're starting you're starting on Fridays, so which means you're watching these movies the night before you pitch. Is that does that play into your mentality on the mound whatsoever? I can't say it does. <laughs> no, movie night's just movie night. There's uh not really anything behind it. But uh You don't go up channeling I mean, I don't know who the main character is from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, <laughs> but I mean are you are you trying to mow down hitters Ch- like that? Channeling <laughs> it's the, a bit of a stretch. My energy to, <laughs> to uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. No, can't say I am. To be honest with you. But I mean, whether you are or you're not, things have been working out pretty well for you on Friday nights. Leading the Big Ten in ERA, uh, one <coughs> shy in strikeouts. You're up there in innings pitch. The batting average against is under 200. I mean, are you a guy who takes a look at some of these numbers sometimes, or, or where do you stand in the conference at all? No, usually it's it's other. Other people telling me, like me, where that's kind of my job. You or you know my dad or, um, they're even like some of the guys on the team. But I don't really look at numbers. Because a couple of weeks ago, uh, when you faced Oliver Jasky um, for that Friday night start against Michigan, it's really the two of you that have been going back and forth for the strikeout lead in the Big Ten and the innings lead in the Big Ten. Also, right now he's got you by one, um, but there's no kind of personal pride in in having that mark. Uh no, it's just a. It's just a number. I'm just trying to come out and have a better year than I did last year, and and uh, the strikeouts have been. Yeah, I'm, I'm caught up to what I had, what I finished with last year. So I just want to. Yeah, in fact, you know, keep it's funny. It's it. funny you 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 bring that up. You're almost at exactly the same ratio of strikeouts to walks where you were last year. You got 74 strikeouts, 15 walks in 71 innings. Mm-hmm. Last year it was 75 strikeouts and 13 walks in 100 and. 1.2, 102.1, 103, 103 innings. Yeah. Um, see, see, you know. I know, I knew. Yeah, that's last year. <laughs> last year's number. Um, but it's pretty much kind of the same ratio in just fewer innings. So mm-hmm. you're you're on pace to obviously better that strikeout mark. You're one shy of last year. A bit of an uptick in walks, but you know, a bit unsustainable to have more starts than walks two years in a row. Maybe mm-hmm. is that still a goal? Because that's still within reach, I think. That's a, it's a goal. But uh, I mean, like last year, I was. I mean, I, I don't know how – I just didn't walk guys last year. And then this year, it's just everything seems a little more realistic, if that makes sense. Sure. I mean, that that's fair. <coughs> but what, I guess, what's been the biggest difference between last year and this year other than moving from Sunday to Friday? Um, uh, Just things like uh, Velo's gone up a little bit. Um, So, I guess, which makes the strikeouts a little easier to, you know, accomplish. Um. And not much really mentality-wise has changed between uh, being the Sunday guy and the Friday guy. I mean, the Sunday guy, you always got the rubber games. So you're pitching either to win a series or, uh, you know, not get swept or one along or those somewhere. Or to get the sweep. Or get, to get the sweep, yeah. And uh, so it was, there was a lot of pressure on Sundays. And, like, uh, like I, I, I enjoyed pitching on Sundays um, because of that. You know, kind of, kind of pressure it took, but um, no, not really much of a change in mentality. It's just same every game. Go out and you know attack the zone, throw strikes. Now, now it's interesting you mentioned that because Tyler Blom was was pitching on Sundays for most of the beginning of this year, um, in that kind of pressure situation, like you mentioned, as just a freshman. Did you talk to him at all about kind of what it was like and the mentality that you had in those games? I would just tell him, yeah, I didn't want to, I didn't want him to overthink things. Um. I would just tell him to, you know, relax, like, you know, take a deep breath and just the simple things like that. I didn't want to get in his head that, you know, he had to, that it was more than than what he thought it was. 
How much uh, how much do you work with the other pitchers, whether it be Taylor Bloom, Tyler Bloom, even some of the relievers, even uh, Jamal Wade, who's now a pitcher and, and throwing pretty well. Earlier in the in the year, we would I would help Jamal out. Um, you know, he wants to, you know, for different off speed pitches, and uh, but as far as like working with pitchers, everybody just kind of does their own thing. Um, obviously, you know, someone does something something wrong, you like you call them out on it and whatnot, but uh, just so they can you know fix it the next time. But everyone pretty much does their own thing. The only kind of advice we give each other is uh, you know, if things aren't going well in a game, just to kind of like you know. Take a step back, take a deep breath, and stuff like that, simple stuff. Now, one of the things I understand that you get to do as the Friday night starter is you get to pick the jerseys for that for that first game. It's your preference. Am I, am I wrong with that? For the, yeah. It's, it's, it's your preference. So Yeah, we can. And, and it seems like you can do it Saturday and Sunday, yeah, too. Yeah, anybody you get can pick them. So last year, it was those black short sleeve jerseys every Sunday um, that kind of have that red Maryland script happen to be among my favorites. It's my top two. My yeah. favorite jerseys are the retro creams. Um, yeah, in, in case nice. you're wondering. Those are um, but this year, I don't know. Have you worn those black jerseys at all this year? I wore them once at uh, LSU. Once at LSU. Mm -hmm. And uh, I always I enjoyed pitching in them, but uh, to me, they're not the most comfortable uh, to pitch in. So um, why so kinda, why choose them last year? I guess I don't know. I guess I just like the way they looked or something. I mean, but, I like the way they looked, but mm -hmm. that doesn't matter. I'm not I'm not wearing them. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, I mean, it was just always kind of. I guess the one that that fell to the Sunday game, you know, like. Uh, Schwarm would pick Shorn the pinstripes his, or, the, or the old grays. Got and his and then Bloom would pick the reds, and mm -hmm. you ended up and kind of with it. Not as many options. Yeah, actually, my favorite w was the reds. I like wearing the reds the best, but um. Seems like those have been retired. Seems like it, yeah. I um, because we we had two different kinds of two different red uniforms last year, the, the old ones and the new ones, and they kind of did away with the old ones, and and uh, the new ones haven't made too many appearances this year. Well, it was interesting because one of the new uniforms last year, those gray push the game uniforms with the Maryland piping mm -hmm. down down the arms. Um, if I remember correctly, that's what you went with on Friday at Nebraska, mm -hmm. and I know that among the jerseys and among the players, those are among the least popular mm -hmm. so why choose those i just i like to try them all at some point i was uh the week before that i wore the the old grays the kind of the uh you know the they're the like salt and pepper ones yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, those are sharp too yeah they're, they're real nice but I, I just wanted to kind of see what it was like throwing in in the new grays and from the outcome of the game i probably won't be wearing those again <laughs> I'm, I'm uh superstitious when it comes to that but um yeah, I just want to see what it was like. I mean, even you you say you're even it was a good start, even if uh, if the result wasn't good. I mean, uh, Howensy pitched really well on the other side too. Mm, very. Um, but to be superstitious about you know the uniforms and to wear a bunch of different ones, that's a little odd. Yeah. It doesn't make a ton of sense. No, not really. Not much. Not much of what I do makes. <laughs> how much? <laughs> makes a lot of sense. <laughs> how much? How much thought do you put into it before Friday? Not much. I mean, I know that uh, like home, home games. I'm, I'm always pins. Mm -hmm. I uh, and which is weird because I never used to like the pins, but um, like before this year, the pinstripe uh, jerseys I think they get uh they get praised a little bit more than you'd expect because they're the pinstripe jerseys. Yeah. But I don't know if they're in my top three. Yeah. I, I mean that's just that's just aesthetics for me because I'm obviously again not wearing them. 
I mean, I go retro creams, the the black jerseys, those old grays. That's that's my top three. Right. And then maybe the reds and the pinstripes. Mm-hmm. Um, but for you guys, I mean, it's obviously more based on feel. Yeah, I was I was never a fan of the the pinstripes, and uh, yeah, I wore them once in an inner squad earlier in this uh the preseason, and uh, I like the way they feel. I like the they're 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 really comfortable. So um, just continue to wear them. So. I mean, it worked this past Friday. It worked uh, two Fridays ago against Penn State. And that's that's a game that I want to talk to you about because, I mean, that was a game that were both pitchers, you and Biasi, were lights out all the way through. And heading into heading into the ninth, there was a chance that you would pitch a complete game, give up one run, and take the loss. Mm-hmm. And then two pitches later, you end up with the W. I mean, obviously it was kind of madness and mayhem in terms of the excitement of those two home runs. But for you, was there anything extra with that? Um, no, I mean, I mean, baseball, <laughs> baseball is a weird sport. <laughs> um, You're giving me kind of a mischievous yeah. smile here. Like there was something going on there. No, it's just, uh, no, just came out of that game. Like, you know, knew it did a good job. Um, and I knew something was going to happen after that. And, uh, after that, after Miller came in and, you know, we got the strike him out, throw him out a second. Uh, we had the momentum on our side and. You could kind of tell that something was going to happen, and and yeah, that game—that's something I'm never going to forget. I mean, that was that was pretty nuts. Mm-hmm. I mean, two guys. I mean, Jankarski had two career home runs to that point. Brandon Gum had five, four career home runs to that point, mm-hmm. and then they go back to back on two pitches. Yeah, that's that's pretty crazy. Right, I've never seen anything like that, and and to have it happen, like, yeah, I didn't even care what I did. It was that was a uh, that was cool. That's something like. I mean, we'll always remember that. So here's here's a question. I think I asked Ryan Hill this a couple weeks ago too. So basically you went from taking a loss and two pitches later you end up with a win. <laughs> um, how much stock do you put into wins and losses? As in? As in, you know, a me- not necessarily a measure of your performance, but, I mean, I'm sure you, you guys as pitchers, you know, read the stuff about how wins really don't uh, measure yeah, the guys, yeah. you know, pitching skill or things like that. And, you know, from my point of view, I tend to agree with that line of thinking because I look at statistics from a bit of a different perspective than you guys do but how do how do pitchers feel about wins and losses um I guess it depends on on who you ask I guess like me in that game say say we lost that game one to nothing it's I put that on me I I made I made the mistake I gave up the home run and uh it's something that I need to work on personally um but yeah, that's just me. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a little too hard on myself at some at some points. But um, you know, and like any like the yeah you know, the wins, wins and losses they don't really matter. It's just a, it's just a number, you know, on a piece of paper. But um, yeah, I uh, depending on what happens, like kind of trying to figure out a way to word this. Depending on what happens, like, you know, there's always something that I could have done to, you know, change the outcome of the game. And Right. I mean, you said you, you yourself are a very harsh critic of yourself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even if you pitch, you know, eight innings of two-run ball, you're still going to go back and think about those two runs? Yep, and say I, I made the mistake. I, I left the ball up or, you know. Now, do you recognize that as a fault or do you recognize that as a, as a driving mechanism to get better in, in your next start? It's a driving mechanism. To, mm-hmm. um, it's uh, it's something that it's it's a learning experience. Like uh, 
like sometimes uh, you make a good pitch and you just say next time, you know, I'll I'll throw a different pitch or I'll, you know, throw a different location, something along those lines. So this year is your junior year, and you're working with a different pitching coach than you had the first two years. Jimmy Bellinger now in Kentucky, Ryan Fecto here in Maryland. What's that transition been like? It's been great. I mean, I was lucky. Uh, I was lucky to have Bellinger for the for my first two years, and now uh, now he's in, he's in Kentucky, and and Fecto has been been fantastic coming in. And uh, I knew from the moment I talked to him on the phone in the summer before I even met him um, that it was going to be a lot of fun. He's you know real chill, real laid back, and and he's really fun to work with, real helpful. And it seems like he's a bit of a movie guy too. He's always the one who's supplying <laughs> the movies on the bus. Yep. You guys, you guys have you guys talked flicks at all? No, not really. Has he come? Is he coming to movie night? <laughs> he's, we've been, we've been, we've invited him. We've invited uh, we've invited Fecto. We've invited uh, Esteban, our strength coach. Mm -hmm. um, never came, but none of them ever taking up on the offer. Nope. Even Fecto with all of his pitchers in that room. No, just uh, hasn't hasn't came to one. All right, if I if I come to a movie night, what kind of snacks can I expect? Is it bring your own? Is it bring your own snacks? We had a uh, we went through a phase where where it would be a pancake night as well. Oh, it was so movie night, night and pancake so night. How a, can you say a, no a to few, that? A uh, few, a few, yeah, a few weeks in a row, we uh, everybody came over and I I make some good pancakes. So I was I was supplying <laughs> the pancakes for everyone. And I was just you know throwing them out left and right, and I just you know flip it flip it uh somebody catch it on their plate and. Going okay, that it, I gotta see. The next one. So you might be a harsh critic of yourself as a pitcher, but as a flapjack artist, mm -hmm. you you count yourself as a true ace. Yes, I d and I do consider myself an artist when it comes to. You make the kind of those pancakes. designs on the pancakes, like you see on those videos. I don't sometimes. do that, but I make a. Uh, I make a pretty mean uh, cinnamon bun pancake. Ooh. You ever heard of that? It's, uh, now I have. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> you make you just basically it's a cinnamon roll in a pancake. A cinnamon roll in a pancake. So you put pancake batter on pancake the pan. Pancake batter on the pan and then toss a cinnamon roll on top of it. No, 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 no. 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 You, you oh, drizzle okay. the. Uh, Teach me here. You drizzle the. Uh, you have to make the, uh, the cinnamon concoction with uh, egg whites and cinnamon, brown sugar, and uh, and uh, what other? A little oil maybe, and uh, and you drizzle it into the pancake batter as it's cooking, and then you flip it and put some vanilla frosting on on top. That sounds like more of a dessert than a breakfast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But all the best breakfast foods are desserts. Yep. It seems like. It's uh. Did you did you learn that Did you learn that at home? We uh, we learned that. Uh, I think uh, Guth saw it on Twitter and he and he shared it with me and we've been making them ever since and they they've been a hit. What was it uh What was it like at home actually? You know, coming into Maryland. What was your recruiting like before you got here? Before I got here, well, I wasn't recruited by like anybody. Um, Maryland was the first ones to, Bellinger was the first one to, you know, come out and he saw me at a tryout, um, when, uh, yeah, I was at a tryout for my fall team and we were all throwing bullpens and I was, uh, I was like topping out at 86 and there's other guys that are throwing 92, 93 and so I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I'm worthless here and, uh, Bellinger. Man, you're, you're really hard on yourself. Bellinger, uh. Bellinger uh, gave me a call later that night, and we scheduled it so I could come down and play in a in a game, like guest play for a team 
uh, in a tournament here, and uh, so I did. And then a couple of days later, they offered me a scholarship. And so I you were you weren't recruited it. by anybody else, really? No. Now, does that looking looking back now, given the success that you had last year, the success you're having this year, you know, taking a look at you know the potential draft happenings and what have you, and we we won't really get into that too much. But does it surprise you that there were no other teams coming to call? No, it didn't surprise me. I mean, I, I was from a a small town, you know. Uh, I w I never went to like Jupiter or uh, or any place like that, and so I didn't really like like uh, show myself too much to anybody. And and yeah, just happened to be at the right place in the right time at that tryout, and Bellinger gave me a chance, and very grateful for it. And uh, I've always tell everyone this i've always wanted to play baseball at maryland for some reason no there's no reason just always wanted to play baseball at the you University didn't, you didn't of grow up a, a maryland fan no not really just always wanted i mean to how, play. how far is pilesville from here uh about an hour and hour and a half okay because i'm i'm from new york so my mm -hmm. geography of this state is even though i've been here for four years now it's still you know not exactly where it should be maybe <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm still learning you know who's kind of close to who in terms right. of you know growing up like i know uh jmo and, and taylor bloom grew up like 10 minutes from each right. other and Crofton and, and Edgewater. I mm -hmm. mean, did you play any of those guys when you were in high school? I would play. Uh, I've I played Justin and Taylor on uh, in in our fall team, our fall league. I played for the Maryland Orlanders. They played for the Evo Shield Canes, and uh, we squared off here actually one one game, and uh, I pitched and you know Taylor pitched and uh, I think Troy Stokes was on that team too. The Mm -hmm. He was supposed to come here. He yep. got drafted by the Brewers. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think he's playing with uh, former Terps Jake Drossner and mm -hmm. Jose Quas now on yep. the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> how's how's that? Pulled pulled that one out of nowhere. That's pretty good. I'd say I didn't know that. That's so. uh, that's that's what I'm here for, really. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. So we all we've played each other before, just once or twice. And uh, who won? Who got who got the better? We. The, so here's the the thing the, the game seven innings long we uh we were winning two to nothing and uh the top of the seventh they called the game before the, before the seventh inning started they called the game due to rain so uh we won the game the Maryland Orlanders and uh but if you ask Taylor Bloom and Justin they will tell you that the game was rained out oh I see so a little bit of a point of contention between you guys, yeah. and you guys are you guys are best friends now. Yeah, they just they were afraid to admit that they lost. <laughs> Their precious uh, Evo Shield Canes lost. <laughs> <laughs> and it was and it was here at at Bob Turtlesmith Stadium. It was, yeah. So that was that your first time pitching uh, pitching at that ballpark? No, that was the that was the second time. The first time was that when Bellinger asked me to. Oh, okay, play the showcase. So the showcase recruit. was here yeah. in Maryland. So I was already committed at this point. So. This this week coming up, you guys are traveling to to Bloomington, so I suppose no movie night on Thursday. Um, no. And then two weeks from now at Illinois, so potentially no movie night then. I guess the next movie night is three weeks from now, uh, before this home series against Northwestern, last home series of the season. I mean, that's a bit of a long layoff. It is. What do you, what are you guys gonna do? We're gonna. We're gonna use that time to come up with a more pancake recipes, <laughs> <laughs> more pancake recipes, and uh, and we're gonna we're gonna use this time to to research for some good movies to watch. All right, well maybe I'll look up a couple, um, and, and try my hand at some horror movies uh, again because 
Really not a fan, but I haven't watched one in, in quite a long time. Yeah. So we'll see. Maybe I'll take you up on the invitation, and I'll see you, what is it, May 12th or something? Something like that. Something like that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, May 12th, next movie night. I guess you're welcome to come join Schaefer and the gang. Maybe I'll show my face as well. But, Brian, thanks for joining us on the Maryland Baseball Network Podcast. It's been a pleasure, as always, and uh, look forward to seeing you pitch down the road. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So now let's dive into what the Terps have this week. It starts with a road trip Tuesday to James Madison. And, Jake, I think the big question is, is Ryan Hill the midweek starter now? Well, I, I don't know if Ryan Hill is the midweek starter, but whoever is certainly needs to bring their A game. James Madison, a team that's been hitting the ball well, even though their record doesn't necessarily indicate that. Um, but what's interesting about this matchup, this is the first time that Maryland will play JMU this year. There was a game scheduled earlier this season. It was actually supposed to be Maryland's home opener that was rained out and moved to May 10th. But I don't know if you remember, but last year when the Terps traveled to Harrisonburg to take on James Madison, it was a game that lasted four and a half hours officially, but six and a half hours overall. It was a, well, 10-inning affair. The Terps scored seven runs in the top of the 10th inning to win 19-12. to Both teams scored six runs in the second inning or something ridiculous like that. Um, it was a wild game that got delayed at the start because of the weather. There was a two-hour rain and lightning delay in the middle of the ball game. Terps had a dance party on the bus, came back out, took the lead in the middle of the sixth inning, um, ended up giving up the lead in the bottom of the ninth, and then won in extra innings. It was maybe one of the wackiest games I've ever seen in person. Um, I'll be honest, hopefully that's not the same case this time <laughs> around because you know a six-and-a-half-hour affair to get back to College Park at about four in the morning is certainly not an ideal situation, but this is a game that... Maryland should look to win, as they look to win all of them. Move them to eight straight uh, before they go into this weekend against Indiana, which should be, I think, a tougher conference matchup than might be expected. Right. The Hoosiers come into this weekend 21-16-2, 8-6-1 in the Big Ten, but I think it's fair to say they're playing the best baseball they have all year, coming off taking two of three on the road against a ranked Michigan team, and prior to that took two of three at home against previously undefeated in conference Minnesota. So basically this team's playing as well as they have this year. And I think it's a team that's starting to round into form a little bit. You got guys like Logan Sowers who started off at the plate not exactly playing as well as they were expected to do. But now Logan Sowers, he's come on a little bit stronger so far this season. Hitting 252, so still not the best average, but six home runs, 26 RBIs. Those are, you know, second, third, fourth on the team. He's still the guy in the middle of their lineup. Right. Indiana has four players that have knocked in almost 30 runs, but nobody's quite reached 30. Nobody on the team except for Matt Lloyd hits over 300. He's at 336, nine homers, 28 RBIs. They do have some power as a team. I mean, they've hit 45 home runs, which is impressive, but hit just about 260 as a group. The pitching staff, they're strong out of the bullpen, but the starting rotation isn't quite as good as they would hope for it to be. This week, though, against Michigan on Friday night, Jonathan Stever gave him seven shutout innings to get the win, which was no doubt his best pitching performance of the year. Stever, with that game, has a 4.95 ERA, so that was pretty surprising. Saturday and Sunday, Brian Hobby went three innings, gave up four runs, but they still got the win, kind of staffed that game, and then Sunday was just a little bit of a debacle on the mound. Gave up 12 runs and got blown out by Michigan. But overall, the offense has been leading them lately. But you know what? Stever's on a hot streak on Friday night. So going against Brian Schaefer is very difficult. But Indiana probably has some confidence 
after what's happened the last few weekends. Indiana was a team that had maybe the most question marks of any team in the Big Ten entering the season, having lost pretty much their entire starting rotation, including their ace, Kyle Hart, who had been one of the best pitchers in the Big Ten over the last few years. It was Hart who faced off against Mike Schwarn in the game one of the Big Ten tournament last year, and Schwarn, well, had that complete game with 16 strikeouts, which was really just an unbelievable performance. Um, the Terps actually owned Indiana in that Big Ten tournament. Brian Schaefer came out two games later, pitched a complete game shutout on his own, you know, by the numbers, actually a better pitch game than Schwarns. Only allowed three hits, no runs, no walks, struck out, uh, I think, eight batters or something like that. Um, it was the best pitch game of Brian Schaefer's career. So the Terps took two games from the Hoosiers last year. Indiana swept Maryland in College Park two years ago. That was the first time that the two teams had faced. This will be the first time that Maryland goes to Bloomington. So looking to return the favor to sweep on their home turf. So the motivation factor, I think, will be big in this series because – Right now, you think of Indiana as an NCAA tournament team. I, I, I think they're they're definitely a bubble team that if things go right for them, they're on the right side of the bubble. And if things kind of stay the way they are, they might end up on the wrong side. Um, I think they still control their own destiny, but they need a lot of things to go right and not a lot of things to go wrong, if so, that makes sense. Right. So the exact point being that this weekend is a huge, huge opportunity for them to get into the NCAA tournament. I mean, when you look at it, they have Xavier out of conference next weekend, Penn State, Ohio State. So basically those Penn State and Ohio State series, it's one of those situations where if you win, you should win, so it doesn't really help you. But if you lose, it's bad. And then Kentucky and Louisville are opportunities in the midweek, but somewhat unlikely to win. Maryland, I think, at home is the best legitimate opportunity Indiana has the rest of the way to pick up very quality wins. Oh, certainly. For the Hoosiers, uh, a series win this weekend against a team that's now in the top 25, like Maryland, coming in at 21 in Baseball America, 22 D1 Baseball, 19 perfect game. I mean, that's a quality series win at home against a Big Ten Conference opponent that's currently first in the conference. For the Terps, however, you know, a chance to keep the ball rolling against maybe the best conference opponent they'll see the rest of the way. Kind of like you mentioned, really the last chance for Maryland to maybe make a point on their resume because the games that follow are games that they should win, and if they don't win, hurt them. If they do win, don't really help. Kind of kind of your point really about 30 seconds ago. Right, exactly. I mean, that's the way it goes a lot in the Big Ten. So for the Terps on the road, they have also have a chance to improve the road record where there are a few games under 500 on the season, and that could be a big tipping point going back a little bit to our conversation about potentially hosting a regional because – I think it's somewhat fair to say, based on what Maryland's done this season, based on the whole body of work, that they're they're an exceptional team at home and maybe some question marks on the road. And it's hard to earn hosting a regional without some really quality road wins. I mean, one of the, they have some quality neutral site wins, right. like the one against um, NC State earlier this Boy, season. Boy, you're big on that one. Well, that was a, that was a big <laughs> game. We talked about it earlier. Um, but I think you're right. You need to win some games on the road. The one that they got from Nebraska in Lincoln was a big game. See, yeah, we kind of disagree on that um, because you're of the thought that every win matters. I'm more of the thought that they lost the series, so they lost the series. Um, but yeah, I, I just think. Well, uh, if, if I mean, I'll, I'll just I'll just put it frankly. If it's the series matter and not the games, why is Maryland's record 28 and 11? No, it, and it, not you know seven and three or however you know based on their series marks well that's you know that goes into rpi and things like that but mm -hmm. i just think that that one <laughs> and two 
I don't know what you're laughing about. I think it's a fair point. I, it, I, it is a fair point. I, I think they did exactly what they were supposed to do at Nebraska. I don't think they get credit for it. That's that's fair. I think they. I think you give credit to a team that goes on the road in a tough environment and takes a conference game. Okay, so that's fair. But I think we agree that the rest of the way they're the favorite in pretty much every game except maybe you know this weekend going on the road against a borderline NCAA tournament team in Indiana. But wins at Indiana, I think, would help some kind of case for hosting a regional because. If you look at their road games the rest of the way, at at least weekend road games, they have the three in Indiana, three at Illinois, and then three at High Point. So you would kind of expect that their road record will end up over 500, but getting a few wins this weekend could be very, very quality ones. So the three games this weekend will come after the game on Tuesday. That one will get started at 6 o'clock from James Madison, and we'll start at 5.30 with Terps pregame out in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Hope you can join us for that one. Then this weekend out in Indiana, it's the games that start at 6.05, 2.05, and 1.05 in Bloomington. And while this will be a good warm-up for the Terps, who are really at this point of the season, I think it's safe to say relative locks for the Big Ten tournament. That's where the Big Ten tournament will be at the end of this year. The Hoosiers playing host, and the Hoosiers figure to be there as well. Yeah, it should be a good test for them. I'm looking forward to it. Um... Yeah, it's always good to, you know, get comfortable with a field if you can. John Chef's big on that. So Maryland will get a few games at Indiana, and then they'll be back in a few weeks in all likelihood looking to take home a title and, you know, some big goals in mind. Terps have never won the Big Ten Conference Tournament, made the finals in 2015, made the semifinals in 2016. Of course, four weeks until we get there, but the Terps are in the driver's seat in the Big Ten Conference at 12-3 and three and ranked first in the conference and now top 25 in the three major polls. So that'll do it for this edition of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, episode 34 in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. I thought it was a fun one. Um, we'll see you from Harrisonburg, Virginia on Tuesday, and then we'll be out in Bloomington, Indiana for the three-game set against the Hoosiers. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at MDBaseballNet. Give us a like on Facebook, facebook.com slash MDBaseballNet. And be sure to check out our website, MarylandBaseballNetwork.com, for all news, notes, updates, articles, and more. A good feature out earlier this week from our own Dylan Sin about Maryland's three transfers, Brandon Gum, Ryan Hill, and Will Watson. So be sure to check out stuff like that. So we'll wrap things up. For Justin Galanti, I'm Jake Eisenberg. So long. Hey, hey,